I see myself as a risk taker. My philosophy doesn't go with the drone when you are sitting in a park and you want to look up and you want to see the blue sky. You don't want to see robots flying around, right? But I think that is the most important thing. If you are going to start a startup, it is better to do something in your area of expertise. That's also why I love my team so much because we can do the impossible because we can build robots from scratch. What actually went wrong with the first business and how did you, you know, pick yourself up and try again with your second business? So in the first business, what went wrong was Hi guys, welcome to episode 4 of Passion Project Japan. Japan. Today we have a very, very special guest as usual, and it is Jude. Hi guys. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So uh, Jude, you want to give a bit of introduction about yourself? Uh, okay. Yeah. So firstly, thanks for inviting me here. It's an honor to be with you guys. Uh, my name is Jude. I'm from Nigeria. Uh, so I came to Japan about 10 years ago, 2000, uh, actually 11 years ago, wow. uh, 2012, so for undergraduate. And uh, yeah, I did my master's and finally did a PhD. And now I'm, uh, I have a startup and uh, the name of the startup is uh, Fancy Technologies. right? And uh, we do more of a fusion between IoT uh, robotics and uh, AI. So we try to use this kind of fusion to find uh, to solve problems in the society. Yeah, I think that's about it. Nice. So what initially brought you to Japan? Uh, just studying. Just studying. Yeah. So my major was mechanical engineering. So like automotive engineering, the GTR program. So yeah. So I thought like Japan is a good place to come for studies because we have like Toyota, Nissan, Mitsubishi. And in Nigeria, like Japanese product, especially cars. Uh, very highly rated, I would say. Okay. Yeah, so it was a very easy decision to come to Japan. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, so you originally were from Nigeria, and how do you kind of get interested in automotive engineering? Uh, so actually, before I came to Japan, I was uh, doing mechan uh, chemical engineering. Chemical engineering. Yeah. So okay. it's it's very different, right? Yeah. <laughs> like mechanical and chemical. So, but. I remember this day that I was I went to a class in uh, chemical engineering and this was like second year uh, and uh, yeah like I was sitting in this class I was asking like what is the teacher talking about so that's when I realized <laughs> that okay this is not my thing like I want to kind of uh, change and so yeah the Nagoya opportunity came and I was like yeah I should go wow okay so you were doing chemical engineering back in Nigeria yeah and then you were like Nah, this is not for me. Let's just go to another country in a whole different major. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, yeah in a nutshell. Oh, wow. Okay. Oh, wow. Hold your horses. If you guys are not subscribed to us on YouTube, click that subscribe button and like the video. So I think that was a big change though. How do you move into like uh, chemical engineering to automotive? Uh, yeah, so I was going to say like I said before, but uh, okay. Uh, yeah, it's a big change. But like, you know, like um, for the first two years in engineering, the courses are basically almost same. Mm. Yeah. So, but the major thing was that I was in a class, like how I actually decided to come to Japan was that I was in a class one day and uh, we were talking about like the real stuff about chemical engineering. So it was like a very, it was more of a departmental course I was taking. And uh, yeah, I was paying attention. I was sitting in the class listening to this lady talk. And that's when I realized that uh, it's not for me because I tried my best to understand, but um, I could not, <laughs> to be honest. Okay. Uh, of course, if I study it, I would understand. But I prefer to, when someone is talking to me, I prefer to picture things in my head. Mm. And at that moment, I could not picture like what she was talking about. So mm. I was like, okay, this is not for me and it's time to make change. Mm. Yeah. So, But relatively, the change was easy, like I told you, because the courses we are in the first year second year almost same so i didn't see it as so much of a change right and then you came to japan and i have to ask you how difficult or how much adjustment was there like to go all the way from like like it was really far i remember um uju our mutual friend from nigeria she's telling me like from nigeria to japan is like how many hours flight it's like 
So uh, it's, it's not direct flight. Yeah, there is yeah. no direct flight. It's about 21 hours, like, but <laughs> just Crazy. inside the plane, right? So like Almost maybe when you, the whole time might be um, maybe 32 hours. So when wow, I, yeah, 32. when I came, I went to, it was to Germany and then from Germany to like Frankfurt and then Frankfurt to Nagoya. Yeah. So uh, what was your question? Again? So like yeah, 11 years ago when you came, yeah. um, was there any like difficulty adjusting to, to any part of Japan? Yeah. So to be honest, before I came to Japan, I didn't know any Japanese. Like mm. my Japanese was zero. <laughs> Even uh, my katakana name was written by some guy <laughs> in the university. Right. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so I had no knowledge about Japanese, but because it was an international program. So there were like Japanese people there and they could speak English. Right. Mm. So it was I think it's easy. It was easier for us to adapt than maybe the people that just come for the Japanese program because we are in, like, in the international program. But uh, for example, like one of the challenges is like when you go shopping, like you, I, I always had to ask what is the difference between salt and uh, <laughs> sugar, and sugar, sugar. right? Mm-hmm. Like, so I always have to ask these things, but because I had a lot of friends, like, and they were Japanese, it was, it was easier to adapt, I would say. But still, uh, it's difficult to adapt in a new country because I was just 20, so mm. yeah. Right. 11 years ago, right? So fresh and young and a lot of new things to explore. But over the past like 10 years, how do you decide to come to Japan? And then you took master course as well, right? And PhD. Yes. Do you plan to take like academia kind of career or why do you choose to, to take a PhD here? Yeah, like to continue because you will yeah. undergraduate to master's and, and a PhD, PhD and all in the same university. So yeah. like, why do you continue? Uh, yeah, that's a very uh, interesting question. Um, so after I finished uh, undergraduate, so to be honest, I didn't feel like working for a company because I thought about it, maybe working for Toyota or going to some automotive engineering company. So I didn't have that, you know, I didn't have that push to work for a company so I decided to do masters so then in my masters actually I started my first business uh, this was the second year of masters and uh, yeah I mean it didn't go well but I learned a lot of things from there what and, was it if I, if I can uh, ask? it was like uh, do you know sumo yeah yeah yeah, yeah. It, it, no not like this Japanese sumo oh wait what no no, no like oh, there yeah. is an app ah, called sumo so oh, this, the, the residential oh, yes yeah. yes it's ah, okay. it's something similar yeah, oh. but instead of like using videos, you kind of use like uh, vid- uh, instead of using photos, you use like videos uh, to select your houses. So it's kind of like an online housing uh, for people, right? So this was the first business I was in, but it was not in Japan. It was back in Nigeria, uh-huh. right? Oh. So uh, to continue doing that business, so I thought it's uh, best to do PhD. And uh, that's one reason, but the main reason actually I decided to go to PhD was because of my father. Like he appreciates like education, right? right. Oh. So yeah, he was the one that convinced me to do PhD. So I think now looking back, I think it was maybe one of the best decisions I made uh, because the thing we are doing now is actually from my PhD. Yeah. So at that time when you were um, master two, you started this business and that was um, back home in Nigeria. So you were kind of running it online or trying to get it off the ground online. Um, and now you are running your own business in a PhD program. So would you always say that like, you know, from young you were entrepreneurial or like yeah. you had this entrepreneurial spirit to become an entrepreneur? Or is it, did that something develop only in your university days? Uh, um, from when I was young, I would say that I loved fixing problems. So uh, there is this funny joke in my house that if some electronics spoils, that firstly, I always try to fix <laughs> it. Yeah, like before we try to go to like an electrician or someone that can fix it, right? Yeah. So usually like this is like a big joke in my family that er- a- anything that is spoiled, give it to Jude. Yeah, like, yeah. you'll fix it. For yeah, you. yeah, exactly. So I always had this passion about like fixing things. So, yeah, when I was young, I wanted to be an engineer, mm-hmm. right? So, but that's kind of changed. Like being an, e- of course, I'm an engineer, actually. I am an engineer by profession. But uh, I prefer doing it in the entrepreneurial world. Yeah. 
So do you think that, you know, for because you are entrepreneur and you're combining that with your engineering skills, do you think that uh, you are able to, you know, push products out or, or be able to uh, have something to show for because you learn all these skills of like fixing stuff and building stuff? Do you think that's like a very important part of your journey? Uh, yeah, I think so. I think uh, the, the, the most... I think what I learned from or what I can deduce, the common thing is like risk taking, uh, because even if you want to fix stuff, you have to take risk that, you know, that you might actually damage it. Right. So that's a risk that. So I'm, I, I see myself as a risk taker. Right. And uh, yeah. And I think, yeah, let me leave it at that. Yeah. I, I do have one question related to your previous um products about finding houses in Nigeria. So how did you come up with that product and how do you come up with your current um, uh, startup right now? Is it, and it's, is it related to each other somehow? Uh, so it's, it's not related. Um, actually, that I was working with a, a Japanese partner that was into working in Toyota and we wanted to do a business in Africa because Africa is like a developing, uh, especially Nigeria like the projection in terms of economy, the mm. population is growing. So we thought like it's a very good market to kind of penetrate. So yeah, we did a lot of brainstorming and uh, finally we came up with this idea and yeah, we started implementing it. Let's see, how about the current one? How did you come up with your current um, startup? So the current one, uh, so when I was doing my PhD, I was working with uh, Toyota and uh, KHI. Like mm. I was doing some projects with them. So basically the project was more of the developing an autonomous robot. So mm. for KHI, it was to develop a robot that can carry things in their factory. Yeah. So yeah, that's how it started. So I, I realized that I liked this. And uh, it was actually different to my main PhD research. So this project was more of an autonomous robot. But my PhD research was more on uh, data analysis. So you can say that I'm a data analyst, analyst by profession, because that's mainly what I did. But then these two projects I was working on was like robotics, autonomous robots, and I liked that more. Oh. So that's when the ideas started coming that uh, if we can do this, that means we can use like automation to help, you know, like mm. Japan and the aging society. Mm. Yeah, I think this, this is really interesting. And I think we, we will talk about more about your startup in a bit, but I just want to ask before that, that period between your uh, your first business and the period between like you starting your second business, mm. like if you're comfortable sharing what what actually went wrong with the first business and how did you you know pick yourself up and try again with your second business? Ah, mm. uh, okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so in the first business, the the what went wrong was because I think. Right. So actually, I was doing this with some of my friends, like my very, very good friends in Nigeria. So they were the ones that we are actually doing the business because they were there and the mm. business was in Nigeria. But um, uh, we were here making the strategy. So I think the biggest problem was because I was not there with them. Right. So uh, I would say that because I was not there with them, I could not understand properly the kind of issues they are going through. So we could not understand each other. So there is there after some time because of I would say lack of money like mm -hmm. lack of funding there was a misunderstanding yeah. right and of course it's not their fault so I cannot blame myself because I should have been there in the moment with them going through everything mm. so that's uh, that's what I learned from that and uh, it was a very difficult decision to kind of stop it because you have invested so much time and mm. also your personal finance right. in mm. the project, right? right? So, but looking back now, I think it was uh, a good decision. But I mean, I didn't know then, right? So, but I looked at it, I was, hmm, yeah. So yeah, I looked at it then, but I thought like, it's better to do something that I have actual skills, okay. right, on. So I think that is the most important thing. If you are going to start a startup, or if you are going to do a startup, it is better to do something in your area of expertise. That's what I learned from that first project, right? 
So, and that's also, well, that was the reason why I decided that it is better to stop it. Right? Mm-hmm. So that's like everybody can do something that they are really passionate about, right? So, yeah. And uh, it was difficult, obviously, like after stopping it. But like I told you, like I like challenges, yeah. right? And I was also doing PhD. So I didn't really have time to kind of process it. Wow. Okay. Yeah, because like yeah. in PhD every day, you every <laughs> week you have like meetings with professor, right? Yes. So it's not like I could just chill and process that decision. It was like I decided we decided to stop. It was a very bad week, and the ten- like I had a very so uh, the tension between I and my very close friends, but because this we are my very close friends, right? right? Was yeah. very high. Mm-hmm. So I think. Mm, yeah, it was very high, so it was a little bit sad. But yeah. then the good thing is that we were able to navigate through like this, and we are still very close friends even right now, even though we did business and it failed, right? So, but when we stopped, the next day I had to go to the lab and do work. <laughs> it so, never stops. Yeah, yeah, yeah it, it never stops. Keeps, keeps yeah. going. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's almost like a bad breakup, and then you're just like doing a lot of stuff to fill up the and kind of forget <laughs> yes. about that breakup. Yes, yeah. and yeah, and it's a little bit different because. Um, like, when it's a breakup, right? Like, if you break up with a girl, there is a possibility that maybe you are not going to see the person. You can just cut off, mm-hmm. right? And then you don't see the person and uh, that kind of helps you move on, right? But in this situation, these are my very, very good friends. Like, my closest friends, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, when I do a wedding, they are the ones that are going to be my best men. Oh, so wow. it's not like I can just cut them off, right? <laughs> right? So they are angry, I am angry, and we have to find the solution, to mm. the problem and kind of like navigate such, yeah, that kind of atmosphere. So it mm. was a little bit difficult, but it was fun, I would say. How about now? Um, do you have a team that's close to you or is like it's just a very professional kind of team? Uh, my team now is also close to me. Mm. So uh, I think one good thing about, or one advice I would give when it comes to startup, it's always your connections are important, right? So, because the guys I'm working with, they are not, we are not on salary or anything, right? It's like a startup. So, they they are very close to me. Mm. And, uh, yeah, they are, like, basically, we are all working for free. So, if it is more professional, then you have to pay them and things like that, right? Mm. Now, I've always heard this um, business advice from, you know, a bunch of people. They say, don't start a business with your best friends. Yeah, <laughs> don't start, like, your... I think that's that's you you agree or no no no, I definitely don't agree. (laughs) I mean, if you look at like even uh, if you look at all the guys that have done like a very good things, it's usually with their best friends, right? Like Elon Musk and uh, the Google guys. It's like because your friend, I mean, if you don't start business with your friend or family, for example, like who are you gonna start business with? These are the people you trust the most, right? So and when you when you have a startup when you don't have finance, right? <laughs> it is better to do it with the people you trust the most, right? That energy, that synergy that you guys understand each other, you know? They, yeah, because of course, if it is a business where maybe you, if it is a business where it's not like a startup, but more of a business, business, where you have like funding, like you have money from the onset, yeah, then in that case, it's like, it's better to be professional about that. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. So you can kind of direct everything. But when it's a startup where you don't have, it's more about, like, it's a startup. Yeah. Right? In the trend, you're fighting, you know, yeah. fighting war every single yes, day. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Right? You come up with an idea and you want to try the idea. You don't know if this idea is going to be successful or not. Right? There is no money to implement this idea. Mm-hmm. It has to be based on your skills. Then it is better to do with the people that are very close to you. That's my advice, at least from my experience. Yeah. Hmm. Wow, this that, yeah, this this fantastic advice. Yeah, yeah. I agree though. I, I agree that uh, having a startup with close friends is really, you know, having fun times. True. And that's one thing. And also, I mean, for the breakup, you can still navigate through, right? So there's no problem with working with your best friend, I guess. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So yes. Yes. I think so. Just that during the breakup, like if a breakup is going to happen. So you have to always mind what you say, right? So even though you are like angry, everyone is angry, it is important that you recognize at that time that, okay, we are like tensed 
and there is a lot of emotions right now. Mm. So it is better not to talk so much at this mm. time. This is my <laughs> advice because when you say out something, you have already said it out and you cannot take it back. So just be careful of this. Yeah, and then it's fine. Yeah, mm. that goes for both relationships and business advice. So. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so for your Fainzy, am I pronouncing it correctly? Yeah, Fainzy technology. technology. So yeah. what, is, what does Fainzy technologies mean? Uh, so uh, Fainzy, like Fainzy, the word Fainzy came from uh, the word Fain. So F-A-I-N. So Fain means like accepting responsibility for mm. something. Right. So it took very long time to come up with this name, uh, but because we accept the responsibility to showcase to the world the power of autonomous driving. Right. So that's why we decided to go with Fancy. Well, this to the world that's like really high ambitious. Ambitious. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yes. To the world. I mean, that's what we are trying to do. We are trying to find. So. Our main goal or our mission is how can we use autonomous driving in combination with IoT and uh, AI? Yeah. To IoT is in Internet of Things. Okay. Yeah, Internet, Internet of, of Things, things yeah. and artificial intelligence. How can we fuse these things together to come up with like the best products? You know, the products that people can identify with that solves their problem. This is all. This is our goal. Hmm. Can you explain more in detail about your current product? So right now we are working on uh, a last mile delivery robot. And uh, basically it's, it, the concept is uh, anytime, mm. anywhere, anything delivery, right? So in Japanese, it's like itsu demo nan demo doko demo, delivery. So basically our vision or our mission with this is to, like whenever you need anything, you should be able to order it. Mm at any time from anywhere so this is the product we are making now so basically we go to our application it's like an uber eats but we remove the uh, we remove the human delivery guy from the equation and actually like use robot to replace that so it's the same ecosystem just that the human delivery driver is gone and then replaced by a robot i see so um we have the pictures of that um, product, right? Yeah, we have the pictures of the robots over mm. here. Let's just put it up yeah, here. Yeah, somewhere here. And so th these robots, you built it from scratch, basically. Mm. Yes. And the software and the hardware, is, everything is from scratch. Yes. So that's, uh, that's also why I love my team so much, because we can do the impossible. I mean, mm. I believe that. Because we can build robots from scratch. So this is also something that is very important, that when you assemble a team for like startup, let the skills complement each other. So for example, I'm more of, I'm like the engineering and robotics guy, I'm obviously business. And uh, my other co-founder in Nigeria, he's like IoT guy. That is like, he works in a blockchain. And uh, the other co-founder in India, he's more of design specialist. So with these skills, like when we combine everything together, we are able to actually build products from beginning to end. Obviously, we don't do the manufacturing by mm. ourselves, but we make the designs for the manufacturing. Mm. Oh, okay. How do you find your team again? They were same PhD, like in the same doctoral course as you? or Ah, uh, no. Like so this, this team was found through my network. So mm -hmm. actually one person, like the, the guy in Nigeria now, I worked on with him also in the other uh, startup. Okay. Right? Oh. He's one of my best friends. I worked with him in the other startup. And the... The, the Patrick in India, yeah, he he was introduced to me by my very good friend here in Japan. Oh, have you mm. have you put your product into testing? And um, so the product we have tested so far, we actually before we made this product, we had the restaurant robot. So that's the one we tested, like mm. at the Nagoya University. Do you know Hananoki? Like uh, close to this place. Is it like the restaurant that is beside the forest? Ah, yes. Mm. Oh, or is it forest? Ah, no, no, no. It's, not, besides, it's beside forest. Yeah, beside, beside okay, forest, yeah. yes. So we tested the uh, the delivery robot there. Like, and then, but after that, we kind of like pivoted to this new new outdoor delivery robot. And uh, hopefully we can start the testing by December or January at the university. So I hope you guys will use it soon. Yeah. Wow. So yeah. it's like a application. So for example, I'm somewhere 
in the humanities building mm. and I say, oh, I kind of want a Starbucks, even though the Starbucks is right there. But let's say, <laughs> let's say I'm further away and like, I want a Starbucks. So I go onto this app. Yes. And then I'd be like, click like order Starbucks. Starbucks. Yeah. And then, and then what happens? Like, um, yeah. So like you just place your order and that uh, we give you a delivery time yeah. and the Starbucks receive you, receives your order. And when the Starbucks is ready, like when they prepare your order, the robot goes to Starbucks, takes it and deliver it to you. Oh wow! Okay, so the so without you guys doing anything, so the, yeah, without you doing anything, so the, the robot would just automatically go to Starbucks. Yeah, they put it there, and yeah. then the robot will travel to where we are. Yes, and uh, when the robot arrives at the delivery location, then the robot is gonna send you an alert that I'm here, and please, you can come take your order. And yeah, you just take your order, and you have your Starbucks. Oh wow! Yeah. Oh, that raised the question though, because you know they are at the stairs. In Starbucks and then in your humanities, right? Can your robot climb the stair? Um, right now, no, it cannot climb the stairs, but uh, this is something that uh, we will look into in the future. Mm. Uh, but what I can say is that if there is an elevator, we should be able to use the elevator. Oh, yeah. that's cute. Yeah. How, how, how would the robot press <laughs> the button for the elevator? <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, there are different solutions to that, so okay. I'm not going to talk uh, about okay, them okay, now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, like the robot can have an arm using... Uh, using uh, image recognition, we can recognize the buttons and control the arm to just press the button. Or not, that's, that's the best way to do it. But the more feasible way is to have the robot communicate with like the elevator. Because like this, uh, these days, the elevators are also IoT devices. Mm -hmm. So that means you can, you, if you're able to get into the elevator's network, you should be able to communicate with the elevator. So when you reach there, you tell the elevator, I'm here, please open. And yeah. Wow. Well, no, that, that would be so yeah. sick, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah actually, cute. most elevators are like that now. Like when you press a button, it's, yeah, you are basically telling the elevator to do something, right? Mm -hmm. So it's just instead of having that button, you can just send the message or the command directly to the elevator. And oh. it will recognize that and, uh, yeah, give wow. you access. Mm. That is, yeah, that is impressive. Yeah, impressive. I would like to see that in action, yeah. yeah. So, and that is, yeah, so you guys are going to test that product in December. Campus. Um, And just, you know, out of curiosity, because this is a startup, what is your business model? Like, are you planning to sell this to, or like, to make this the service, or are you planning to sell these robots to companies, or like? Yeah, our business model is to make it a service. So, okay. basically, we charge you for using it every time you order. And uh, we charge the restaurants as well or the stores. So I, I think if you are using Uber Eats now, you pay 10% plus some delivery fee. But we plan to charge just 5%, like flat mm -hmm. rate 5%. So I think uh, that's more than 50% cheaper than mm. Uber Eats. Yeah. Mm. Do you, can, can, can it go like on the road where car goes or do you plan to use it in, within some certain campus? Only? Yeah, so right now, because of the regulations, mm -hmm. we plan to only use it in restricted areas because uh, autonomous driving systems cannot go on the road so far. So, but I, I, I think this is going to change maybe in the next two years because the Japanese government is working on autonomous driving regulations. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, once that happens, yeah, we can either go on the road or go on the sidewalk. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. autonomous driving. Because I remember when I was with the... I went on a tes Tesla test drive. <laughs> yeah, the person was telling me that they cannot... That you In Japan, you technically cannot let the Tesla just run by itself. Yes. Yeah. Right? You still have to have your arms on the steering wheel at all times. Yes, that's yeah. true. Yeah. But you think that's going to change in like the next two years? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh, there are some testings going on like uh, when it comes to autonomous driving. But the thing about... I, I feel like robotics... Robotics should come first before autonomous driving because like autonomous driving is like mainly using the cars, right? But robots, their, speeds are not, their speed is not that high compared to a car. And if there is an accident, it's not so, yeah, it's not so damaging. Like when a car hits you and when a robot hits you, the differences are very clear. So the first step would be probably autonomous robots. And then the next step should now be uh, automated cars. Mm. Yeah, but um, do you plan to have your robots going faster, like as fast as the car in the future? Or do you still think that maybe for safetyness, then uh, just like walking walking <laughs> speed is better? 
I think uh, for, so when it comes to robots, mm. just the slow it can go faster, but for safety purposes and because it's quite small, right? So the speed, the maximum speed is limited. But obviously in the future we plan to actually integrate this robotic like this robot or this last mile delivery idea into like more of an automated car. Mm. And then in that sense, yeah, it's 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 gonna become a car like an automated mini bus or mm. like a mini car that can actually go on the roads. And then, yeah, the speed will be like it's normal cars, yes. Mm. So that's kind of like, the, that's our direction. So, so do you envision a future where all these delivery jobs will be taken over by robotics? And do you think, you know, that would be, like, for example, some people, they, they make their living doing delivery jobs. Do you think their livelihoods will be threatened by this, you know, robotics thing? Or is it complementary somehow? I think it's uh, for for maybe in uh, developing countries. Yeah. It is. It is. We can say it's taking their jobs, but that is normal. That is gonna because it can give them time to do other things, right? Mm -hmm. But in developed countries like Japan, we don't have enough delivery drivers, right? Mm -hmm. And they need to sleep too. Mm -hmm. They cannot deliver twenty four hours. <laughs> but with a robot or with an autonomous delivery car, you are guaranteed that. You will get your products whenever you want it. So that's the convenience that we offer. Right. So it's it's complementary, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. There's a what was it? Is it Amazon that has um these drone delivery services? But maybe not in Japan, but in like yes. the United States, they have um, these uh, drone delivery services. Yeah, yeah, there is Amazon. There is also Zipline. Uh, Zipline also has uh, the drone delivery services. But to be honest, um. I, my philosophy doesn't go with the drone uh, delivery because I think it's fast, obviously, but I don't think it's environmentally friendly uh, mm. because like when you are sitting in a park and you want to look up and you want to see the blue sky, you don't want to see robots flying around, right? <laughs> so, okay. yeah. So, yeah, yeah like uh, yeah. I think from that perspective, um, yeah, it's not that environmentally friendly, but cars, like if it's like a robotic car or like an automated car, right? We already have roads, so we can just use what we have. So I think that is kind of the future. So maybe like when it gets to your house, in, so if you are, let's say you are living on the fourth floor and the house doesn't have an elevator, then maybe at that time, at that point, we can use like a drone to complete it from like in front of your house to in front of your door. Yeah, that's with using drone, I totally agree. But flying around with drone, I don't think it's... Uh, it's, I don't think it's the best solution. Mm. Yeah. Do you it's not think humane, I would say. <laughs> not humane to see the drones flying <laughs> over here. Yeah, yeah. Like a matrix, you know, that you see. Yeah, at right? first it might be cool, yeah. but then when you start seeing it, like a lot, yeah. I think it can start uh, getting on your nerves, right? I mean, it's the same thing that... Uh, so if you know about Lime, so Lime is like... It's like an electric scooter company in okay. U.S., uh, it was in San Francisco, but I think now they have stopped operation. So basically, it's like the the scooter, right? Mm -hmm. Like you get a, you rent a scooter and you like you ride around the city and you drop it anywhere. Yeah. So at first it was very good and it was very nice, but the problem became it was too untidy, mm -hmm. right? Like you can no longer enjoy the city, so the city became like a dumpster kind of, mm -hmm. and. Um, yeah, they had to revoke their license because after some time, like you don't want to see scooters everywhere, right? Like everywhere is untidy. So if you guys are enjoying the episode so far, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Maybe not related to the all the drone thingy, <laughs> yeah. but do you see the potential of your robot working with like, for example, Amazon, all those kinds of um, online like delivery services? Uh, yeah, definitely. I think uh, the potential is mainly we, we in the future, we are looking to work with maybe Uber. Mm. It's like a demi-can, like all the delivery, already all the delivery platforms existing. They can use our robots for their delivery and we can just charge them the delivery fee. Mm. So I think there is a huge potential in terms of collaboration with these companies. Nice. And now how big is your team? Um, so now we are around uh, six people yeah six people and i think it's really interesting that your startup is um like you got someone in nigeria you got someone in india mm. and obviously you are based in japan, japan. yeah and mm. there is also some person in uk 
Oh. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Mm. And so you have this all these business partners in like different different areas. Is it challenging to kind of you know syncing up the time zones and working across all these mm. different? Like yes, it is challenging. Yeah. Uh, but it's it's like a welcomed challenge, right? It's not it's of course it's difficult, but it's okay. It's not a big deal like that. So sometimes I have to have meeting with them maybe around eleven here. Mm. Oh. Uh like eleven PM, sometimes twelve PM. And sometimes like very early in the morning, like around five AM or six AM. But that's uh totally okay. Like thanks to technology we can like walk, right? Communicate. Most important thing is like we have meetings and uh we talk like almost every time and uh, yeah everyone is like doing their best so i think the best thing is that we have trust in each other that i don't have to be there for like my partners to do what they are meant to do so everybody trusts that this person is going to deliver their work mm. and i think because of that trust it's it works perfectly so we don't feel that um uh, that difference in location you know that is super interesting considering the fact that you guys are building a robot with like the software and you're testing yeah. actually yeah, why, why do you choose to test it here in Japan instead yeah. of all the different other countries that uh, you guys are in because the company is firstly registered in Japan ah okay oh. and uh, yeah, yeah. See. How, how was the, the, the procedure for registering your company in Japan uh, it was very simple yeah. it's, so actually I used a lawyer so most people yeah. do it themselves, but uh, mm. I, I'm sorry, but I prefer to have that time. <laughs> and, uh, so I Fair used enough. the lawyer, so it was uh, quite um, straightforward, right? Mm. So you just, yeah, you prepared money and things like that. But the, the only challenging thing is being able to manage the company, right? So like um, generally in Japan, like if you are an international student or if you are like a foreigner, right, you can actually have a company. But having a company and managing a company are two different things, mm. right? Anybody with any type of visa can have a company, can register a company. But to manage it as, uh, or to even work in the company, then it needs like a different type of visa. So that's where oh. the, the issue comes. So are you currently under like student visa still? Or you have to apply for another type of visa to manage this? Uh, yes, I have highly skilled visa. Oh. Yeah. So that's uh, so. If you are, if you want to manage a startup or manage a business in Japan, uh, the visa for that is like a business visa. So, but the only problem with getting a business visa is that uh, you need to prepare an investment of five million yen uh, for the business. What, five mm. million yen. Yes. So for a foreigner. So and uh, so when you have this five million yen and then you register the company and after registering the company then you apply for a business visa and then when you get this business visa you can legally manage your company uh here uh so that's one way another way is to probably use a startup visa so there is something called a startup visa so this startup visa is uh one year visa uh basically it's you use this visa to prepare like for your startup so the idea is that with this startup visa under this one year you you get an investment into your company, maybe prepare the five million, and then from the uh, startup visa, you change to the business visa, right? So mm -hmm. it's kind of like a transition. And uh, I think depending on the, uh, I don't think like all the prefectures offer this visa. Mm -hmm. So Nagoya Aichi Prefecture offers this, I think Tokyo, Fukuoka, I'm not sure about, but this three, um, I know. Yeah, so that's one way to, another way to kind of manage your business. So another way is to all use like a highly skilled visa. So basically, high, when you have a highly skilled visa, uh, you can do something that is different from your actual main activity, right? So that's what I'm doing because currently I'm also a postdoctor at Nagoya University, right? So I have a highly skilled visa and because my research is also related to my business, so I'm able to have a business and manage a business using that. Oh, Interesting, yeah. yeah. So you are both, you know, kind of... A student. Yeah, a student as well as owning, like, because you have your own business. Do you have the... Because on student visas, you have that regulatory, like, you can only work 28 hours a week mm. kind of, of thing. But with the highly skilled visa, do you have, like, a cap of how much you can work? Or? Mm. Uh, no. Highly skilled visa is kind of like a working, working visa, visa, right? Correct. Because, like, I mean, as a postdoctor, I'm actually employed by the university. 
Uh, it's not like a student. Yeah. So it's actually like a job, like mm -hmm. a research job, right? It's so cool. it's like you are working in a company. So the thing is like with this highly skilled visa, you can actually even work in a company with this highly skilled visa and still have a business if your company allows that. Mm -hmm. So that's the thing. Like with a highly skilled visa, you can do something extra to what your primary purpose in Japan is. So for example, let's say you are working, you want to work for a company like a law company and also have like, let's say, consultancy business on the side. That is possible. Uh, you get like a highly skilled visa and you are working for a consultancy company and get the permission to also do a business. But it has to be related to your actual job, which um. is consultancy. In that way, it's, it's possible. Do you have to do any kinds of report in order to maintain this highly skilled visa? Or you just just get it and then you can do your business anytime? Or like uh, You anything? don't need any report. Just that you need to maintain the points. Oh. So because it's based on points, right? So it's like a, a minimum point is 70 points. And uh, yeah, so e either you have 70 points or 80 points. So if you have uh, up to 70 points... So points are basically calculated from there are like there is a criteria for calculating the points like your age, uh, your educational background and things like that. Right. Mm -hmm. So once you add up these points and you get up to 70 points, you can apply for the highly skilled visa. Mm -hmm. But where the difference comes is if you have 70 points or 80 points. So if you have 70 points uh, and uh, you this highly skilled visa is for five years. And after three years, you can apply for permanent residence in Japan if you have, like, the 70 points. But if you have 80 points, you can apply for PR after one year. Oh. Well, yeah, yeah the visa thing, I think, is yeah, it's something that a lot of people who want to start their own business here in Japan, maybe they feel a little bit restricted by. Mm. Yeah. Yes, uh, it is very restrictive, I would say. I mean, that was actually one of the biggest problems for me. So I think if someone, if someone is a student and the person is planning to start up, to do a startup, it's better to really think about the visa from like and plan about like plan for it uh, from a very early stage. Like you kind of have to map out everything. So you have to kind of decide. You have to decide what type of visa you are going to use. Like highly skilled visa. If it is highly skilled, then you have to try to get the points, right? Mm. And if you want to use like the business visa, then you try to prepare the money from like like way back, right? You kind of so you have to map out this mm. and. Uh, it is very difficult when you switch from um, when you switch from student visa to a different type of visa. It is very difficult to switch from that type of visa to, for example, startup visa. So, if you want to do startup, you can only go from student visa to startup visa. I see. Mm. Wow. Yeah. So, so this these things are important, right? But you also mentioned that you worked with a lawyer, right? So uh, did he or she help you with just a document thing or with also like advising you which kind of visa you should take? Uh, just the document thing. Uh, right. Just the document. So, so you had to prepare everything, everything in advance. First. Do all your research in advance. Yeah, mm. yeah, you have to check. Mm. Uh, but uh, I also got, there is, you know, like Tongali. Yeah. Mm. So maybe you know Sawako-san, right? Like, yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Sawako yeah. So she helped me like with these visa things, like in terms of the research and mm. deciding. So if I maybe I need to call to some people, and yeah, like she helps me call them. Right. Oh. Yeah, yeah. But she was very very helpful. Yeah, Tongali yeah. was helpful in that way to kind yeah. of decide okay what what type of visa is the best. But obviously you have to do your own research eh? yeah. and decide which one you want to go with. Hmm. Yeah. So just some background information. Tongali is the uh, entrepreneurial kind of. Um, uh, project to help students who are having like a startup idea or um, who have a startup mindset to build their skills and also opportunities in order to you know um, have their dreams or startup in Japan right mm. both, both for international students and also Japanese, Japanese students, students as well yep. mm. I think there are, there are a few organizations like that for example well, of course Tongali. Tongali is one that's in the university and I think mm. most universities across Japan would maybe have some kind of similar organization. Mm. But uh, I know that if you're, for example, in um, Aichi, there's also other like startup organizations. Yeah. I suddenly cannot remember the name of the... the Venture? 
Ven- uh, oh, Venture Cafe is one of them. Venture the one Cafe. Jason mentioned. And Shibuya is also Shibuya Startup Support. Mm, mm. Uh, but there's yeah, one in Nagoya, which I suddenly cannot remember the name of. Is it Nagoya Garage? Or? Uh, they, oh, yeah, it's yeah, Nagoya Garage. Mm. This is also the one that they partner. But yeah. yeah. So basically, there's a lot of these kind of places. Mm. Yeah. And as for like cities that have a lot of startup support, mm. Nagoya is one of them. Fukuoka, I know, is really hot with mm. startup stuff. Yes. Hokkaido recently, I think they're also trying to, to mm. get more startups in Hokkaido as well. Mm. So. And of course, Tokyo. Yeah, yeah Tokyo, yeah. for sure. That's true. And Tokyo. I think yeah. Tongali is like the Tokai region, right? The, the meaning of the word Tong is Tokai, part of it. Is it? <laughs> I think so. I'm not sure, but... I thought Tongali is because of the triangle. Really? <laughs> okay, never mind. Okay, yeah. Is, uh, Anyways. <laughs> don't take our word for it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyways, so yeah, what, what are the other challenges that you face besides like visa thing and also like building the first... Uh, team what are mm. the other challenges that you faced during your startup um all the challenges so mm. obviously it's uh it's very risky like i told you so it's always a constant challenge like uh, doing something that is risky because you don't know what is going to happen so i think uh, the challenge also comes from a psychological perspective and yeah it it can keep you awake some nights right so yeah, that's that's uh, one of the challenges. But you have to, I would say, you have to have a why for what you do. And uh, when such challenges come, you, uh, yeah, you just tell yourself the reason why you are doing what you are doing, and uh, you try to kick out such ideas, right? So sometimes, like you can, you have like this pessimistic voice in your head, like questioning what you are doing. But yeah, you have to know how to navigate such period, and still. I think, uh, yeah, it is challenging to keep the motivation going, right? So that's one thing you have to always try to do. You have to keep motivating yourself to keep the motivation, like that spirit, right? And uh, that's one challenge. So another challenge would be, so when, when I think about startup, I think it is about you have to be able to, um, get the right balance between now and the future, right? Because it is a startup. Uh, what do I mean? So for example, uh, if you are not thinking about the future and you have like this great product, then like maybe a big company can come in and make something similar and, uh, because they have like a lot of money to burn yeah. and then it's gone, right? So you have to always um, plan ahead. Like, okay, even if we are making this product for use now, but you have to always try to incorporate like what you plan to do in the future. So basically, before you even start anything, you kind of have to map out the future. Like, mm. okay, this is like in five years time, this is where we want to be. This is the product we have want to have, right? Mm. But for now, it's not obtainable because of lack of resources, lack of uh, maybe technology, but this is our goal, right? So in that sense, like whatever you are doing now, in some way, you have to try to integrate that future, like be, build a base for that future, right? So this is, uh, why I'm saying this is because actually our first product was a restaurant robot. Mm. Mm. And uh, when we were doing this, this actually, I was still in uh, PhD then. So it was a little bit slow because I had to graduate from my PhD. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and uh, after we, we, we actually had some agreement with a company. Mm. that I thought they were going to use our product, right? And after we finished the development and the product started working, apparently this company went for another pro, uh, another big company. Mm. And that was when, like, this company came to Japan. Like, uh, you have seen Savvy, right? Savvy? Yeah, it's like a SoftBank's robot. Oh, oh. Uh, oh the I white so. color yeah. robot? I, yes, yes. yes. Think, so it's yeah. called Savvy. Actually, this company is a U.S. company. Okay. Like, but SoftBank bought them oh. and brought them to Japan, right? right? Uh. So when we started doing, or when our company started doing this uh, restaurant robot delivery, there was no, it was not that popular in Japan. But before we finished it, SoftBank came, and then there is also this company called the Pudu Robotics. It's like a, it's the biggest robotics company in China. They mm. also came to Japan. So yeah, and. Uh, yeah, the question is, uh, how can you compete with these guys, right? Mm. Because, for example, SoftBank can give you their restaurant robot for three months for free. 
and even if you don't want to use it, you can return it to them, right? So it's difficult to compete from financial perspective, right? Yeah. So, sure. but yeah, so that's when we had to um, pivot to our new product and our new like our new service, right? But that we were only able to pivot because during the development, I was thinking about because that was meant to come later. But during the development of the restaurant robot, in terms of like the technology, in terms of what we are doing, the system we are building, I was incorporating the requirements for that product in our current design. So it was easy to, we, we did not start just start from the beginning. Mm. So we were able to pivot immediately to something, to our next product. Mm. Right? So, so if I was not, so it's, you have to always try to balance the now and the future, right? Incorporate both, like find the right balance on how to keep incorporating. It's fantastic advice. Yeah. yeah, it's kind of like yeah, always having a little bit of that future element there mm. and yes. being agile enough to pivot uh, when you see like the opportunity there or mm. someone else eating up your market. Yes. On that note, what is the future for Fancy Technologies? Mm. Where do you see yourself in five years? Mm. Yeah. Um, the future of Fancy Technologies. Yeah. So when I think about Fancy Technologies, the first thing that comes to my mind is, uh, let's say, for example, a problem happens in Japan that requires some technological um, magic to happen. Like, I want the first name that comes to your mind to be Fancy because you believe that this company should be able to provide a technological solution to this problem. Yeah. So that's the way I see us. That when there is a problem that requires like a technological solution, the first company that comes to your mind is Fancy Technology. That's fantastic, though, because it's all about fixing problems from the beginning, right? Because you're, from when you were in a young age, you're already wanting to fixing problems, and you want to be the 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 solver. Yeah, the key person. <laughs> the key person yeah. to solve the problems. So. Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, uh, we 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 will always try to use our technology. Obviously, good technology, right? So we will always try to use technology to solve like our present problems. That's our target. Awesome, yeah. So for the audience back at home, if they want to find you or find Fancy, how can they reach out to you? Uh, if you type Fancy Technologies on Google, you should see our website and uh, you can also go to www.fancy.ai. Wow, smooth, yeah. <laughs> and if they want to, you know, like if they want to have a chat with you, maybe some people they are interested to work together with Fancy or how, how should they find you? Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn, Instagram. So please uh, send me a message. Or you can contact us from Fancy website. True, yeah. Oh. So uh, we put some links in the description. Mm. Yeah, thank you so, uh, so much, Jude. Do you have any other, you know? I'm, I'm good. Yeah, yeah, thank you so much, Jude, for coming today. Yeah, yeah sharing all your talk. insights. And mm. It was, yeah, very fantastic. <laughs> from very fun. Hearing your story from a problem mm. solver back in Nigeria, you know, fixing electric electronics <laughs> to now trying to fix all the pro technological problems in Japan. Yeah, yeah it was uh, such a great talk. Yeah, mm. so if you guys like the episode and you guys want to see more of this kind of content, please uh, like this video, uh, share it with your friends. If you find value from it, subscribe to us uh, on YouTube as well. And subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify too. Correct, yeah. And you can follow us on Instagram and TikTok at Passion Project JP. Uh, this has been... Uh, thank you, Jude. Yeah. yeah thank you guys for having me. It was uh, really wonderful to talk with you guys. I mean, uh, yeah... I, I really enjoyed the questions that I got from you guys because uh, even about my first business because I didn't actually have a lot of time to process it. <laughs> so I was kind of processing it. Like, Therapy. Yeah, 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 while we are talking. But uh, yeah, I had a wonderful time. Thank so you. thank you guys. Thank you so much. Yeah. Do you have any questions for him? Bye.